see this this sucks this guy has Dumplin'. This guy has Dumplin' at 189. And that movie owns. That movie owns. I know. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide, wonderful world of streaming teen rom-coms and romantic cinema. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, a library manager and Snowden hibernation bear, and I am here, as always, with my co-host. I'm Martin Hagman, adult services librarian, and the, the snow has begun, but I don't know if we will get to hibernation levels. It is, uh, for, for those of our listeners who do not know me personally, I live in the Chicago area, and it has been whiteout snowing for most of today. My place of work closed early. We are on TBD over whether or not we will open tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it just has not stopped. And now that I live in a two-car household, my car lives outside, so I am not super excited about having to dig it out when I, if I have to go to work tomorrow. Oh. Well, I hope that for the sake of everyone's safety that you guys are able to, to stay home tomorrow. Or that, it is, or that it is very light snow and it will come off easily. I mean, it, it's not super wet. It's too cold for it to be very wet. There's just so much of it. Mm, okay. Uh, but anyway, we are here today to talk about a brand new movie, so new, in fact, that I'm going to remember to do my spoiler <laughs> alert at the top of the episode so that Pete doesn't have to uh, be annoyed with me when I make him cut it in at the beginning of the episode. We will be talking about and spoiling extensively the third P.S. I Love You film on Netflix, Always and Forever, based off the Jenny Han book, Always and Forever, Lara Jean. This movie came out three days ago. <laughs> so if you are interested in watching it, uh, spoiler free, please feel free to pause our podcast and rejoin us when you have had a chance to view it. Uh, but now we're back. Marin, would you like to give us a synopsis of Always and Forever? Yeah, so Always and Forever is the story of Laura Jean Covey and Peter Kavinsky's senior year. Um, so we're picking up with where the second film left off. Um, John Ambrose is no longer in the picture. Um, Laura Jean goes with her family to Seoul um, and reconnects with um, her memories of her mom. Um college acceptance starts to loom over the movie um and peter um has gotten a lacrosse scholarship to stanford um Lara Jean um discovers that she was not accepted to stanford due to some accidental texting accidentally tells peter she was there's some shenanigans for a little while before she is Owns up to him that she was accepted to Cal Berkeley, but not Stanford. Um, meanwhile, Laura Jean's dad has gotten engaged to their neighbor, so they begin wedding planning. Um, and Laura Jean and Peter come up with this plan that she is going to go to Berkeley, which is an hour away, um, and then try to transfer to Stanford. Um, but that will they'll both be in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, that is until they go to a class trip. They go on a class trip to New York and Lara Jean hangs out with a bunch of folks from NYU and uh, falls very quickly in love with New York City. Um, and she decides to go to NYU. Um, so she and Peter go to prom. Things are kind of tentative um, and they decide... To break up on prom night. Um, he asks if she would like him to come to her dad's wedding. She says no. Um, 
And there is, at the end, a reconciliation. Peter writes her a notebook, or a, uh, what do you call it? Yearbook. Yearbook letter um, that is their new relationship contract. So that's um, hearkening back to the first film. Um, and so the film ends um, with them being long distance, but Laura Jean feeling optimistic about the future. Did I miss anything? No, that was a pretty comprehensive summary. Okay. Um, yeah. Martha, what did you think of this movie? So much better than number two. I, I really... <laughs> I agree. Um, no, I I thought it was fun. I thought it was, a, I thought it was very cute. Um, I thought that at times, and we can get more into the specifics of this, um, but at times it felt more like a survey, like a um, an overview of plot points rather than um, like a really comprehensive story. I, I felt sometimes like the movie felt like there were plot things that it had to get in. So it just did them without really letting them breathe in any kind of meaningful way. Like a, a good example of that is like Lara Jean initially or accidentally tells Peter that she got into Stanford and then lets him think that for a while and then comes clean pretty painlessly. Like I, I have not read these books. So at first I was like, Oh, this is the conflict. Like, she has told him accidentally that she got in and she didn't. And now like, this is what we're going to spend the movie dealing with. And they kind of got over that pretty quickly. Yeah. I think it, I think what you're getting at is there was this, I would, I'm using the word interesting and I have to, I always have to give the context of like, I come from Minnesota where the word interesting is often used as a covert synonym for bad. And I do not yes. mean this way. Yes. I do not mean it this way. I mean, it was, yeah. Like my, some of my Minnesotan friends and I, we, we are, we will clarify like interesting, interesting or Minnesota interesting. Um, I think that's just a Midwest thing because I definitely do that too. Where it's like, that was interesting. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to commit to saying it was bad. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, but this is, I when I say interesting, I actually mean interesting. I think that there was an interesting choice throughout this movie to go the route of low conflict. And I, I think they did that because you feel the structural conflict of colleges coming. They are not going to be able to... Like, we know pretty early on in the film that they are not going to be going to the same college. They're not going to be able to see each other every day. So I think because the film is framed within that larger structural issue, it often takes the lesser conflict path. So I think another movie would have had the the wacky hijinks tension of, oh, when is Peter going to find out? Um, and this one really chooses not to, and instead they have a very kind of low-key conversation wherein Peter kind of immediately comes up with a solution. Um, and so I think it's interesting. I think this film is trying to recapture some of the quietness of the first one, and I think that it's trying to capitalize on... Lana Condor and Noah Centineo's really good acting um, to say, hey, we don't need big blowout conflicts. Like, we can just have that subtlety. Like, we can feel the tension in their faces and their body language, but, like, choose to have our characters make reasonable, well, reasonable is a construct, but, you know, like, go a route of lesser resistance than going a high conflict route. Like, I, I feel like that crops up again and again in the film. Um, like, for example, there's, like, a slight ruffle raised of Margot. Laura Jean's eldest sister has been going to college in Scotland, and so she really hasn't gotten a chance to get to know their new soon-to-be stepmom. And there's a moment in there where it seems like 
Margot's really upset that their new soon-to-be stepmom has redecorated the house a little bit. And instead of having that be a plot point, instead of having that be a, like, teary scene of Margot saying, oh, I miss my mom. Um, and so it's just a quiet conversation of, of teen, Trina comes up to her and says, hey, I can understand this would be upsetting for you. And Margot having taken a beat saying, no, this is your house too. Like, you need to feel welcome here. So it's interesting to me because I think oftentimes, like, on one hand, I, I find that a fascinating choice. And for me, that was really gripping. But on the other hand, you're right. It makes it feel like the conflict is almost like a, a plot es machina rather than something naturally evolving. And and so that's really like the the danger with that low conflict type of storyline where all of the tension is coming from external factors. And I mean that really makes me think about I really enjoy this interview I listened to um, with Mike Schur, who is the showrunner of Parks and Rec and The Good Place. Um, he did a very long interview on the West Wing Weekly, and he, he talked about, you know, the comedy of team and, you know, how so often in his comedy, he only wanted the conflict to come from external sources. And on one hand, I think that's great. And that is the type of comedy and media I gravitate towards. But on the other hand, there are pitfalls with that. And and that is one of them, is that sometimes it, it makes it feel like the plot is happening to the characters instead of with the characters. Well, and I'll tell you, the big play, the big part of what you just said that I would push back on is that I agree. I think that Lana Condor and Noah Centineo are very talented and can shoulder a lot of that more subtle emotional acting. I don't think the movie lets them. Mm. I I did not feel like I wanted the other the other moment that this really came up for me is in um, Peter's conflict with his dad. So in this movie, we have his father showing up after being absentee for a very long time and wanting to develop a relationship with Peter and Peter basically being like, nah fam, you had your chance. Like he's mad and he has a right to be. And I did not feel like the movie let him live in that anger nearly long enough or in a satisfactory way. And it, I, I wish that it had trusted Noah Centineo with more of that emotional, like, like to deal with it in a more emotional or emotive way, like given it more space to breathe. Cause I think that he could have done some pretty compelling work while still maintaining the tone of the film, which is very like frothy and romantic and lovely. Um, and I can see where they might not want have wanted it to take a hard turn into now we're dealing with, um, like now we're dealing with family therapy time. But then if that was how they felt, then they shouldn't have brought that plot point up at all. I think for me, actually, I think there was enough emotional groundwork laid for that. Although I think they could have had, cause, cause I think really the emotional crux like, where we really get the insight into his, how he feels there is um, a scene he has with Laura Jean after they run into his dad at the bowling alley. And I I think that the film gives him a minute there to express his anger and to express his hurt. Um, I think it could have done that. Like, maybe had another scene, maybe had a scene with his mom, maybe let that scene last a little longer. But I was actually, I liked that Peter's emotional outburst happened, an emotional processing happened before the scene in the diner. Because he doesn't strike me as a character that would, you know, unleash all of that. Um, well, and I wasn't, I wasn't looking for like a storm of rage. I think, I think you're right. I think I would have enjoyed or appreciate, I think I would have appreciated a scene with his mom as a way to kind of help deal with his anger. Um, 
for as much as we talk about Peter's family life in this movie, it, it did bother me that his mom is not in it. Yeah, I think that's really what they were missing there. Because for me, it was totally in character that he, the conversation he had with his dad, I feel like was was blunt. Like, he didn't spare his dad. Like, he was pretty, I don't, I don't want to say harsh because he wasn't harsh, but he was pretty forthright with his dad about how hurt he was and how abandoned he felt he was. But he wasn't, he didn't like yell, he didn't like create a big scene. And I, to me that felt very in character, but I think we could have seen a little more processing to get him to that point. Um, yeah, I didn't have a problem with the scene in the diner itself. I thought that was pretty lovely. Um, I just had a problem with the fact that I did not quite feel like it felt more like the movie had decided we had gotten to this point rather than watching Peter get to that point. Yeah, I mean, I think they signposted, like I said, I think they signposted it with that scene after the bowling alley with Lara Jean. I think we definitely could have spent some time there, but I, or it spent some more time there, but I, I think the movie at least gave us like the signpost of like, you know, this is him processing that. Yeah, and I, I picked that, that moment out more as, like, emblematic for how I felt about a lot of the little moments in this movie. Like, I feel like the movie could have picked fewer emotional beats and let them play out more. Like, if... Because... Sorry, words are hard. <laughs> um, you always have to make cuts when you're adapting a book to a movie and I almost wish they had focused more um like I'm not even really sure the conflict with Margot needed to be in there at all or if it did then like focus the movie a little bit tighter around Lana Lara Jean's relationship with her sisters like there was a lot of good stuff in here that I wanted more of. Mm. And at some point you have to make choices about what the focus of your movie is going to be. It's like a tasting menu where you tried a little bit of everything and it was delicious, but you still ended up without a full stomach. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like I also could have used more of Lara Jean falling in love with New York City. Like that felt like it happened very fast. Yeah. And I and I love a montage. So like the the montage that we get of her and her friend Chris like being tourists in New York City, I thought was perfect. Um did wonder why we didn't get to see her go inside the library. Yeah. Uh that was kind of a bummer. <laughs> also, I could have used some of her actually going into an NYU building. Like or hearing more about their programs, because later it was like, oh, I've done all this research, and turns out, like, NYU has all these writing things I want. Um, but we didn't actually get to see her find that out or discover that. And I think a, the comparison I was thinking of there was actually, do you remember that episode of Gilmore Girls where Rory is comparing Harvard and Yale? Um... No, I remember the the road trip to Harvard episode where she and her mom go to Harvard and she goes to sit in like a big lecture class and answers a question. Oh, yeah. and has a like has a moment where she's like, "I was in college for a minute." Oh, that um, episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I I did not really feel like we like it. It felt like all of a sudden the movie needed Lara Jean to love New York, so we got told she loved New York. Yeah. And I think, and cause I don't know, part of what I was thinking too. And I mean, this is like me as a crotchety 31 year old, but part of me was like the geography of where you go to college only matters so much. Like college life can be so insular that like, you want to pay more attention to like what's actually going on at the school versus the environment. Um, uh, yes and no. I mean, 
going to college for, for a lot of people and particularly for Lara Jean, like going to college is going to be the first experience she has living on her own. And I, I think the location for that matters kind of a lot. Well, but it's not like she's going to be renting a regular Manhattan apartment. Like she's going to be living in a dorm. And for her first year, sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think that like, sorry, one, the point I'm actually getting to here is like, I would have liked to have seen her talk more about not just New York City, but like NYU specifically. Like, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um. Because, yeah, I feel like we we didn't get to hear her, like, we only got to hear in little blurbs what was drawing her to NYU. They should have put her into the tour with Jen. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, we get to see that we get to see the tour happening kind of far away. It's like just just have Chris and Lara Jean get swept up in the tour. Which I do have to admit, though, I had a moment of when their tour guide brought them to a party. I like had a moment of imagining being a senior in college and bringing. I don't I don't know what they call them at your college, but. The perspective students, we called them PFs. Um, and I was just like, oh my god, I could never imagine inviting a PF to a party. <laughs> Did you also wonder why she didn't call Peter to come yes! to the party with them? I like, very much wondered that. That made no sense to me. I was like, Lara Jean, like, get, get your boyfriend on the phone. Like, text him the address. I don't... Yeah. And it, it, it really ended up feeling like it was just a setup for the song stuff. But yeah. I was like, that's a that's a weak setup. Like, this well, this doesn't make sense. And I think that the movie needed her to be on her own so she could talk to that senior whose name I've forgotten. And, and have that senior tell her, like, oh, yeah, I was in a relationship and, like, thought it would last forever. And then I realized I love New York more. Like, I think... I think the movie needed us to have a lot of Lara Jean's processing through listening to that. Sure, but I also feel like that's so, a really easy write-around. Like, right. just have her have her call him, like, have her text him, but not have him answer her. And then later he can be like, oh, my phone died. I saw I missed all these texts from you. Like, I right. feel like you can have her try to contact him and fail and still get all of that solo stuff without me having to sit there wondering, why didn't you call your boyfriend and tell him you were going to a party? Right. Cause instead we get that when she comes back, he's like, Hey, like you stopped answering my texts. Like what was going on? You know? Yeah. Which seems or, out of character. Or even if she decided that like, Oh, I want, I don't want to share this. Right. Show me her phone while he's texting her. Like, make that a conscious choice. Like, show me, show me that she is getting his texts and choosing to ignore them. Because yeah. that I also think could have been a really interesting choice. Yeah. No, and instead it's just like no choice. Like, it's just like, wait, why is she not? Why does, this me? doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, well, speaking of Jen, I'm just gonna, like, yeah, slid turn this in there, um, kind of transitioning to more things that worked about the film. I think one thing that I really enjoyed, um, was that Jen got a lot more to do and got to be, we got to see, like, more of her and Lara Jean, and even Christine being friends. And we got to see, um, you know, kind of, I guess, a glimpse of their former friendship slash a, a sense that, oh, maybe they will keep being friends. I, I really enjoyed that because I feel like not a lot of movies take and flip that, like, mean girl trope as well. It's curious that you that you use that you invoke Mean Girls because I'm not disagreeing with you, but I do think that Mean Girls is one of the movies that gets that particular piece of high school right. Like the idea of being a senior and having prior like feuds or rivalries just be like, well, this doesn't matter because we're all going to college anyway, so why not just be friends now? Um, also 
felt very true to me and also is very reminiscent of the end of Mean Girls yeah. when they're all like sitting on the lawn together. Sure. Yeah, um, no, no it, I liked that too. And it made me very happy to think that um, Lara Jean and Jen might like hang out at college. Like that, that felt very sweet to me. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Cause yeah, I think you're totally right that like Mean Girls builds to that. Um, and this, is, it's kind of like, what if the Mean Girls resolu- revelation, but instead of the last five minutes, that's at the beginning of the film. Yes. Yeah, which that that really worked for me. Um, I loved the way that this movie, and I'll ha- I I might go back and watch the first one because this may be true about the first one, and I just don't remember it. I love the way that it was kind of filmed like a Wes Anderson movie. Mm. Like it has a lot of those really lovely, like straight on shots where you have the characters either in the middle or like to one side of the shot. And it's just a steady cam with a, a wide shot of the backgrounds and the backgrounds in this movie are like so colorful and vibrant and evocative that it was really nice to just kind of, like to have a steady cam and just sit with these beautiful sets. <laughs> yeah. It definitely it felt it it kind of imbued the whole film with this heightened reality. Um and it also let the actors just do their work. Like mm-hmm. it you just have this like pan shot or close up shot of you're incredibly talented, charismatic, and beautiful actors. And it's like, just talk to each other for a while and make that compelling. And they do. Um, also, I could talk conservatively for eight hours about all of the fashion choices in this movie <laughs> and how they were perfection. This is another thing I'm going to have to go back and watch the first one to see if they do this as strongly. Um, but I really loved how almost every character in this their costuming is very evocative of like a particular era or decade and what that tells you about their character. Like Lara Jean dresses in like very kind of fifties and sixties, like retro inspired clothing, which is truly lovely. Her prom dress was beautiful. Um, But her sister, Kitty, her younger sister is very like nineties sitcom child with like big block color sweaters. She wears a tux, like a blue tux to her dad's wedding, which I thought was incredible. And then like Chris is very eighties punk kind of with band t-shirts and like grungy makeup. I don't know. I thought, I thought all of the, the costuming was on point. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting. I was thinking about that. I read an article, and I can't remember where, but they talked about, and and for the author of this article, this was actually a negative, but I don't actually think it is. They talked about how in the first film, Lara Jean's wardrobe had a lot more, like, subtle punk elements, and that it was a lot, like, there wasn't quite that consistency of kind of the gauzy or retro, um... And the author of this article was actually disappointed that these later films kind of solidified and gave Lara Jean a much more consistent style. But that actually rang true for me as, like, you grow up immature and kind of grow into what you actually like. And, um, yeah, I thought it was interesting that this author thought somehow it was I don't know like taking something away from her character but for me it it, it was like oh yeah like Laura Jean has figured out you know what she likes to wear and has evolved her style I mean it reminded me of the fact that my brother refused to wear jeans until he was 18 years old and went off to college and my dad and I both almost fainted when we were clothing shopping for him for college and he like was like okay I'm gonna buy jeans and my dad and I were both like what what (laughs) um but yeah it kind of reminded me of that like yeah just as you grow and grow into who you are and grow into your fashion sense like I think that makes total 
12 cents. So, sorry, the the meandering point I am making here is that I think they did give her a much more consistent look um, than the first film. Yeah, which I, I enjoyed because it's consistent, but it's not boring. Right. Like, and it's it's still, like, wildly varied in what colors she's wearing. Um, I loved her, like, royal blue bridesmaid's dress at oh, the end. I thought that was perfect. Um, again, her prom dress is this beautiful, like, peach and rose colored. It's got floral embellishments on the top and a long, like, satin A-line. It just... I don't know. I. It is definitely a, a capital L look, but I never felt like it was a look um, that diminished her individuality or like precluded her individuality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, again, it just kind of expressed like. This is someone who knows how she wants to look now. Yeah. She she goes shopping with a goal. And I don't I don't think that that's a bad thing. No, definitely not. I will admit, not going to lie, I didn't love her prom dress as much as I loved Christine's. I'm a oh. su- I'm a sucker for like those gloves were right? a choice. <laughs> right? I was like, yeah. And and Lara Jean's prom dress was, like, a little more subtle, and so it took me a little more time to... Like, when I initially saw it, I was like, whoa, okay. It, it would just... Red is a lot of tan to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no. Like, please tell me this is not the nightmare of the aughts when, for whatever reason, we were all obsessed with brown. Like, we just got a collective, like, we were all under a collective spell from roughly 2003 to 2007, where we somehow thought brown was an attractive color to wear. Listen, my senior prom dress was brown. Oh, no! (laughs) It was. It was brown, and it had gold sequin straps. I'm sure it was lovely. I, I, what was I, what was I looking back on the other day that I was like, oh God, Marm, why did you think brown was the height of sophisticated fashion for not like something as lovely as a prop dress? It was like, I had like a, a brown corduroy blazer that I wore a significant amount of my first couple years of college. I've Uh, never, I've never owned a blazer. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I have enjoyed, I have a very nice slouchy blazer that I pretty much only ever wear for job interviews, but it comes in handy and I don't have to button it, which, yeah, A plus. Um, yeah, but yeah, early college, I had this brown corduroy blazer. Um, but yeah, so for me, it read initially as very brown and I was like, ooh. But then I saw in different lights. I was like, oh, okay. I get what's happening here. I will say it does not quite compare to the blue dress from number two. Yeah, that dress is pretty hard to beat. That dress was pretty incredible. Uh, So how do we feel about Lara Jean and Peter Kavinsky's chances of (laughs) long distance? You know... I would have told you a few years ago, like, oh my gosh, absolutely not. But I have, I know of at least two couples who started dating in high school. And so whereas before I would have completely scoffed, I'm now like, I actually know people who like are married who started dating in high school. So I have like, a little more proof point that it can happen. I mean, my husband and I met in high school. We didn't start dating because the age difference would have been a little wonky at that point. Um, and I will say I, I appreciate it. So at the end of the movie, Peter, after they, they break up on prom, um, because Peter's like, you have had one foot out the door since you decided to go to NYU. Um, 
which I don't know is a fully justified thing, at least by what we have seen of Lara Jean and her thoughts and feelings. Um, but basically he's like, you know, we're going to be together forever. Four years is nothing in the grand scheme of everything. And I was just kind of like, that's so much pressure to put on yourselves. Mm. Like if, if it does work out fantastic, I'm happy for you. But the, like, all I could think of was like, what if you guys hit your sophomore years and you're both like, this isn't working for me, but you have the weight of this pact that you've made. Mm. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being like, maybe my heart is dead inside. But <laughs> um, no. I was, I was just like, wouldn't, wouldn't it be better to just to go into it in good faith and be like, we're going to give it our best shot rather than having it be like, we're end game. We're going to be together forever. This will be fine. Like it, it feels like that was kind of what got them into trouble in the first place was feeling like it was this like all or nothing thing and then progressively as they have to like reevaluate their plan like it, it just felt like you guys are gonna have to reevaluate at some point yeah and I think I mean I think that it's supposed to convey the gravity of commitment um, and I don't know it struck me as very true to 18 year olds oh um for sure for sure (laughs) um Uh, yeah i mean but it is i mean and i'm also 33 and looking at this from the perspective of somebody who went to college with a boyfriend and broke up like three months later because i was like "Mm, nope not (laughs) happening (laughs) um so I, I admit that I, that is what I'm carrying into this film <laughs> experience. Well, and to be fair, I knew many a high school couple that, you know, maybe they made it to Thanksgiving. Maybe they made it to Christmas break. But I think one couple that I knew of from my high school graduating class um, is now married. Oh, you know, I... Looking back on it now, like, I was checked out as soon as he left for school in the summer. Mm-hmm. Like, at that point, I was just kind of like, all right, peace out. <laughs> like, we'd that summer, we'd, like, made plans to visit and whatever. And as soon as I got to school, I was like, no, nope. <laughs> not happening. Yeah, and I think that's a very normal reaction. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that's something that, like... I certainly saw not only happening to people I knew in high school, but, like, even in my college, you know, people who came dating a significant other, you know. Um, although, sorry, funny sidebar, and Pete, you can absolutely cut this out. One dude, <laughs> one dude, one of those, like, ooh, they dated, like, most of maybe first year, but definitely broke up before sophomore year. This girl who lived on my hall, um... He is now the host of, like, the official Minnesota Vikings podcast. Incredible. That my friend Corey is obsessed with. So he references him all the time. And I'm like, Corey, (laughs) I met that guy. Like, we hung out. And, like, he, like, dated a girl on my floor. And I also went to speech camp with a different one of their best friends. So they would, like, come over and hang out. And it's real weird. fantastic anyway sorry tangent sidebar um but yeah no definitely definitely i think that was a very common experience of like get to college in a whole new scene i mean frankly that happened after college like there was a total wave of like folks who were together in college and it was like six months later like oh okay because you you do so much growing like the person you are when you start school is not the person that you are when you end. Exactly. And it, it seems like so much to ask of each other to be like, this is going to still be true about both of us in four years. 
Um, and, and I don't say this to be like long distance relationships can never, ever work, but it does kind of feel like particularly if you're going to school in two different places, you are growing up and having different experiences and becoming two different people. And if those two people are still compatible and still want to be compatible at the end of it, that's awesome. But just listening to him talk about like, this is our new contract and we're going to be for together forever. I'm like, guys, that's so much pressure to put on yourselves. Again, this, this may be just my age showing and about how like the romance in this movie is not for me as a grown up person, but I felt like that final contract like putting it in terms of like signing your name to a contract seemed well, a lot, but we... it's also a callback to the first movie. Yeah. So. Did we ever see what was in the contract? He read it out loud. It was the that was the letter that he wrote oh. in her. Okay. Wait a minute. Oh, the initial. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just supposed to be. I I think that it was just the plot device they were taking from. Um, the first one, like, I think, sure. I think in other, another film, it, it would have been like, here's my romantic speech, you know, like, I think mm-hmm. it just came in the form of a contract because. That was the reference that we had. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Um, yeah. So to me that, that didn't feel like. Oh, we're having the weight of a contract. It just felt like, oh, yeah, like, we're harking, like, we, because they spend a significant amount of the movie talking about meet-cutes and, like, kind of that meta-conversation of the structure of a rom-com. So, to me, that made sense that he was like, oh, well, this is my big gesture. Like, I'm hark, I'm being thoughtful and hearkening back. Sure. Did love the meet cute story. Thought that was adorable. That was super cute. Um, and I did find out that uh, school principal uh, that gives Laura Jean the attendance award is Jenny Han. Hey, the, the I love uh, that the author of the books. Yeah, that's so cute. Right? Yes, I I very much enjoyed the meet cute. I enjoyed that Peter's the one that remembered it and not her. Although it did make me wonder why he had not tried to date her before they fake dated <laughs> if he'd been crushing on her for that long. I know. Yeah. It does kind of make you rethink about, cause we get some glimpses of like middle school them in the first and second movie. And yeah, it's kind of like Peter, why did you go for Jen? Like you, hmm? Um, that Harry Potter reference sure did not age well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Womp up. Yeah. How do we feel about the fact that they slept together? Um, I like that. I felt like it was very... Sorry, what is the word I'm actually looking for? I, I feel like it was done very tastefully, which is a weird... Like, I, I'm trying to think of another word, and I know, like, tasteful in these situations has a certain connotation. <laughs> um, but no, I think it, I think it was a nice, like, it wasn't salacious. It was just like, yeah, this is kind of, it harkened back to Lara Jean in the scene where they broke up at prom, saying, no, I want to have sex with you because I want to be close to you, not that I'm, like, desperately trying to cling. So I think it, you know, to me, it kind of came full circle from that moment. Yeah, I I think it was definitely, um, like, that was not the right moment, but ultimately they did get one. I don't, I don't know. I always feel weird about movies that have teenagers having sex, like, I, I know that teenagers have sex. I'm not <laughs> I'm not an idiot. <laughs> but I always feel a little bit weird about actually like having it be there. Yeah, I mean I think it was mostly implication though. Like we just kinda see them oh, yeah. afterward. Oh, like yeah. I, I feel like it wasn't No, there was nothing like there wasn't even anything really racy about it. No. 
It was the anti Bridgerton. <laughs> also, they're both just like two beautiful people, so Yeah. Yeah, and I I, I for me I think that worked. I think it it was a nice like I said, like kind of building up. And I I think too the film earned it in I think that one way in which the film like structurally really benefited versus the second one is being able to take away that John Ambrose character and kind of the forced love triangle tension is we really did just get a lot more time in this movie of just Peter and Lara Jean's relationship and them enjoying each other and supporting each other and spending time together. So to me, because we had gotten to see so much of that throughout this film, like this sex scene felt like a pretty natural culmination of, oh yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm not actually like, I'm not really quibbling over whether or not the movie earned it. It was more just like, I don't know that I should be watching this. Oh, <laughs> Which, again, gotta remember, I'm not really the primary target for this movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it... Definitely sometimes watching these teen movies does make me feel old in terms of like, wow, teen culture is so different. I am... This is not really apropos of anything. I'm kind. I'm bummed that Lana Condor is not working like nonstop right now. Like, I she has been so lovely and charming and compelling to watch in these movies that really she has to carry like ninety percent of them. Like it's they hinge on her being um, convincing in a lot of very. Um, introspective ways and i am bummed that she's not making like a zillion movies right now i feel like she should i feel like she should be having the career that noah centineo is having yeah yeah that is wild that um she does not have like four movies in production right now yeah i mean these movies don't work if you don't like her or listening to her think about her own internal conflicts and i i'm i go back and forth very hard on whether or not voiceover is a good idea in movies and in these like i don't mind it because she is a compelling narrator and i don't know that that would have been necessarily that that wouldn't have been true for like any actress you could have had play these roles um I think she is very good at selling that. Yeah, absolutely. And selling, like, for such a, a like, there's such an interiority to Lara Jean um, that really does hinge on her acting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope these studios start calling her, like. Put her in tons of stuff. Yeah. Let me see if she's got anything in production right now. Maybe she should be on the next season of Bridgerton. Yes. Although, oh my god, she'd be incredible. Wouldn't she? Although, and I know this because I was just texting my friend Mary about it. They did actually cast the heroine of the next season of Bridgerton. So that ship is fabulous. But she could, oh my gosh, she could be the heroine of season three. She'd be great as Sophie. Netflix, I've listen to me. Okay, she's got two movies in pre-production. I don't know. I just, I feel like she should be working more. I think she's great. Yeah. Hard agree. What do we want the next YA romance series to be adapted for Netflix to be? Well, I do believe they're actually going to adapt Jenny Han's earlier um, series, The Summer I Turned Pretty. Ooh, that's going to be tough. Yup. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like I, I just—I feel like I just saw that announcement. 
So yeah, that's going to be like, <laughs> remember the kissing booth? Aww. How about that? But like even more. I wish I did. Anywho. I think it's kind of wild that no one has adapted the selection yet. Yeah, why hasn't that happened? Like, that's Hunger Games by way of The Bachelor. Like, I don't understand why the CW hasn't purchased... I don't understand why we're not in the fifth season of that yet. I know, that's so weird to me. Or, I mean, I guess now this is a little out of date, but, like, the Libba Bray series? Like... Oh, which one? Oh my gosh, what is the, I know, the last book is called The Sweet Far Thing. What is the series actually called? Oh, A Great and Terrible Beauty? A Great and Terrible Beauty. I feel like I read the first one of those, but I don't remember anything about them. They could also make a Diviners series that um, I would watch to death. I would watch that until I died. Um, <laughs> okay, it is just called the Gemma Doyle trilogy. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, that one's yeah. a little out of date, but it is wild to me that they never made a movie of that. That one's, yeah, that one's also historical fiction, right? Uh, like historical fiction, but also like historical fantasy. Like it takes place in a Victorian world where there's magic. Okay. Um, I don't remember much more, but I remember fair. really enjoying them. <laughs> also fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see what they do with the summer I turned pretty. It'll be interesting. That one... I love Jenny Han, but those books, the fact that the premise is that a girl loses a lot of weight and people are all of a sudden like, hey, you're hot now, is rough for me. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I feel like like we have we talked about Dumplin on the show already. Yeah, I feel like, like we did an episode on Dumplin. Okay, I'm I keep hoping that they'll make Puddin. Oh yeah. Or that Puddin was the follow up, right? Yeah, yeah. Was that the yeah. one about Millie? Yes. Oh, Millie's the best. The, yeah, the actress they got to play her was so good. Oh. I was like. Please make this movie. Um, yeah, they're... I can't believe Dumbling didn't do Dumbling didn't do well enough for them that they didn't do that. That's wild. Yeah, crazy. Um, especially insane. because we have three kissing booth movies. Yeah, like, right. What is happening? Oh, gag. Um, but and they've started. I would I would watch a sequel to Love Simon. There's a couple, there's at least one other book out mm-hmm. in that world that I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the limit to the contemporary teen books that I have read in recent memory. Yeah, I'm on some, well, and who knows if the success of Bridgerton is going to open the floodgates, but I like... I have better book series than Bridgerton that I need Netflix to take on. <laughs> like, ASAP. Like, come on. Lisa In Kleppis, people. Well, and the fact that they did Bridgerton and nobody is talking to Courtney Milan about adapting her stuff is like, y'all. <laughs> right, right. Like, they could totally do a Brother Sinister series. And, like, what's wild to me, as much as I enjoy Bridgerton... What's wild to me is that the tone they went for is not at all the tone of those books, but it is absolutely the tone of the Brother Sinister series or Lisa Kleypas's Wallflower series or um, Evie Dunmore's A League of Extraordinary Women series. Like, if they wanted more, like, like Bridgerton is like light, frothy rom-com that they tried to, like, shoehorn drama into. Like... They have this whole wide world, and I want them to explore it. I'm glad Bridgerton opened the floodgates, but yeah, I can only I can only hope for a Brother Sinister or Wallflower series adaptation or Sarah McLean. Oh my god, (laughs) they need to call me. I have so many ideas. Marin is available to consult with you, Netflix. I sure am. 
So what would we recommend now that the Lara Jean movies are finished for now? I suppose Jenny Han could always write a number four. Um, what would we recommend our audience enjoy as a companion or alternative uh, when they have finished consuming Always and Forever? So the book that I most immediately was like, oh, the tone of this, if I want more of the tone of this, I would reread. This is actually, and I, I wanted to use this as a suggestion before, but it fits so well. Um, is The Princess Diaries, Volume 10, Forever Princess, um, by Meg Cabot, um, which is about Princess Mia Thermopolis's senior year. Um, it has a lot of these same threads of people, um, you know, going off to college and kind of that transition between high school and college, um... So it, it happened in a lot of that kind of same emotional space as always and forever. Um, and Meg Cabot did go back and write a book about them as grown-ups. So you can do it too, Jenny Han. <laughs> Martha, what would you recommend? I think people should watch the 2006 Justin Long movie Accepted. <laughs> where a whole bunch of college seniors do not get accepted into college so they create a fake college called the South Harmon Institute of Technology and have to continuously trick all of the adults in their lives uh, that they are actually going to legitimate schools. This movie is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Um, I was, it made me, it, when, when Lara Jean does not get into Stanford um, and it's like the end of her life, I was thinking about the character in Accepted um, played by Maria Thayer, um, who doesn't get into any of the schools that she applies for. And she is like the overachieving, um, like wanted to go to Ivy League and has no, like has no plan B. So she uh, joins Justin Long's fake school and majors in doing nothing because she spent her entire uh, her entire high school experience like doing everything and it didn't actually get her anywhere so she's like I'm just gonna do nothing <laughs> this movie is incredibly charming I loved it it did come out in 2006 and I haven't watched it in a bit so how well it holds up is a little bit of a question mark but I remember it as being very sweet um, I like Justin Long. I think that he is uh, compelling to watch. Um, I think he makes interesting choices. I uh, once glimpsed eh, glimpsed Justin Long from across my college quad. Oh, he spent some time filming a small indie film in the Twin Cities, um, part of which was shot on my college campus. And so there was a week where we all kind of like positioned ourselves to stare at Justin Long. Excellent. I support that course of action. It was it was great. Um, but yeah, so I think you guys, I think everyone should go watch Accepted. Next episode, we are going to be talking about the Netflix original Set It Up, which current which came in at um uh, came in at number 23 on the list of all 515 Netflix original movies made between 2015 and 2020, published on Vulture by Charles Bermesco. Uh, he said very complimentary things about it, and it cracked the top 50 on a list of over 500 movies. So <laughs> that is what we will be watching and discussing on our next episode. Until then, if you would like even more content with the sparkling dialogue and uh, witty repartee that you have heard showcased here, you should check out my other show, Did You Do Your Homework?, which updates on this same feed on alternating Wednesdays, which I host with Marin's husband, Pete. Uh, you can find me additionally on all social media places at Magical Martha, including the tiny letter that I write at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha, which I update whenever I feel like it. Uh, you can find the show 
at DYDYH podcast on the feeds that we share with the aforementioned sister show. Um, Marin, where can people check you out? Yeah, folks can find me on Twitter at a underscore star underscore danced. Um, we're basically lately I have only been tweeting about romance novels in Bridgerton because that is where my mind is at. Um, so if you are interested in getting a lot of tweets about those subjects, feel free to give me a follow. <laughs> um, we will see you in two weeks. And until then, just remember that we love you.